0: Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner. We're also going to have Seth Galena, PFF Analyst, join the show later in the show. But all on today's podcast, we are going to go over the college football awards and update on those now at week nine in college football. Also going to look at our 2022 NFL Draft Prospect Risers and Fallers. And then at the back end of the show, an interview with UConn defensive tackle Travis Jones and Louisiana offensive tackle Max Mitchell. Let's get it. no other place to start this podcast, Mike, than the infamous monkey stripper Halloween
1: Texas special teams coach story. It's, it's taking over America, really, this story, and with good reason. 100%. Not every day do you have a stripper's monkey bite a little boy, <laughs> and not every day is that stripper married to... Former stripper. I'm not sure. I haven't actually even pinned down the details on this. Married to a football coach for the University of Texas Longhorns. I think once a stripper,
0: always a stripper is kind of my take. Is
1: that like uh, the
0: you y- never you drop sex it. the horse I don't think once it's a retiring situation. Thing? Okay. Yeah. But to to update on those who don't haven't followed the story as obviously as closely as we have, Texas coach or Texas special teams coach Jeff Banks is in a relationship with potentially married to, I don't know if that detail is confirmed, to Pole Assassin. Yeah, I'll say it again. Pole Assassin. This is the stripper's either performing name or an accolade she acquired in her performing career. Her name is Daniel Thomas, maybe Daniel Banks if they are married. They invited for adults and children to their home, not for a stripper club party, but they had a haunted house and a maze. They invited them over for Halloween. It sounded like an absolute treat. In that event, a kid seemingly put his hand in the cage of the strippers, or Pole Assassin, excuse me, Pole Assassin's compadre, performing buddy, a monkey.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We do we know the monkey's name, Pole Assassin no, Jr.? No,
1: that hasn't been released yet. Okay, it's coming.
0: Pole Assassin Jr. is what we're going to call on the show. Then the monkey, Pole Assassin Jr., P.A.J., bites the monkey, the child's hand, and now... Both Jeff Thomas, the special teams coach for Texas, and Pole Assassin
1: are under a lot of scrutiny. So much that Pole Assassin deletes her Twitter. Uh, this seems to me, just reading the tea leaves here, this seems like Harambe 2.0. This seems fantastic like kid's ball. This seems like she was doing a nice thing, having people over to her place, and the kid went in a spot he wasn't supposed to be. You want to read the tweets that she sent out before she ended up deleting yes, her Twitter? Yes, absolutely. Were- so this
0: is from Pole Assassin before the Twitter deletion. I had a haunted house on one side gated off. He had no permission to go past the gate, and I had no idea he went into my backyard. Neither did I know anything about a bite until a doctor of neighborhood, which I believe that is the first time I've ever seen that phrasing. Until a doctor of neighborhood told me the treat a small bite. No parent have contacted me about it. Pole Assassin, not not perfect grammar there, but it's fine. Luke Johnston, who is the hero of this story, in my opinion, and we might have to get him on the podcast, goes for a perfectly well-executed troll tweet. Is the monkey vaccinated? Could be serious. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. She takes it more seriously. Pole Assassin reads or texts, yes, she had all her shot. She emotional support animal. Who not be touched. She speak by command of high five, same. No one is allowed to touch her unless I unless I myself say it okay it. I think you are one hundred percent right that the person to blame here is not Paul Assassin, not Paul
1: Assassin Jr., not Jeff Thomas. It is the child who stuck mm-hmm. his finger in this cage. Maybe not even the child, the parents of the child. Fair letting him wander off in a haunted house of all places at a stranger's house. So that one to me, I don't think I don't think it did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Paul Casson or Jeff Banks. And another added detail, next door, which I think is a
0: social media app for people who live close to each other. Yeah, I have never heard of app. it. It's yeah. So Daniel Banks this Halloween. Like hey neighbors, i built a haunted house slash maze at my house. I'm welcoming all kids from seven to nine thirty, and then adults from seven to eleven. It was even an abbreviated kid party knowing that they had yeah. probably get to school the next day. I mean, she seems really considerate in all of this. I'm, in my opinion, not going to blame the monkey. I'm not going to blame the pole assassin. Jeff Thomas, I feel like, should be of free of blame as well. If anything, this is Harambe 2.0. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad we were able to discover that or get on that. The next thing we have is not necessarily all that similar, but Odo Beckham Jr., the saga that is his Cleveland tenure, is getting <laughs> wild. Wild. So this is incredible for me. Adam Schefter tweeted this non-sarcastically that Odo Beckham Jr.'s father... Posted a video showing Baker Mayfield not passing the football to his son. That caption for me reads like something you'd see for Pop Warner or like your kid barely making the team. The fact that this has gotten every, to this, point this is, is absurd. every
1: high school dad in America is what it <laughs> sounds like. But
0: I did, yeah, I don't know. I this is the first time too. I feel that I've seen OBJ's dad in the news. Right. I mean, I yeah, I, I, didn't not. know. I obviously knew there was a senior if there's a junior, but he has not been making too many notable appearances until obviously this video. Yeah, I believe
1: he goes by OBS uh, he would go by. <laughs> um, but uh, he's coming off a one catch six yard performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Obviously, from his comments in the past, Odell Beckham has literally said he's not happy unless he is contributing to wins on a football field, unless he is getting his stats. He has said that in interviews prior was the Justine anderson interview so obviously he's not going to be happy when he has 232 yards now total on 17 catches on the season now the video a little suspect i mean anytime just because a guy has some space around him doesn't necessarily mean he's open and there were i did watch the whole video just out of pure curiosity and i'd say about half of them were valid points of gripe uh and obviously we've lampooned uh Baker Mayfield on this podcast a number of times over the course of this season for his poor play. So no real surprise there. But the whole situation is not surprising to me because this was the writing on the wall. I had said it, I've been repeating it over and over. The the whatever between Baker Mayfield and Beckham never worked. It mm-hmm. never worked. I like it wide receiver and quarterback is a symbiotic relationship it is a trust-based relationship and whatever that is whatever that connection is has never been there from day one it has never worked out and so to see it end possibly like this we're recording this on tuesday obviously before the trade deadline we don't know what's going to ultimately happen but seeing it get to this point is not a surprise here's my take and i think i'm going to catch a lot of flack for
0: this But I'm going to add to this conversation that LeBron James tweeted out an hour ago. OBJ will show again why he's special. Wide receiver one. Hashtag free OBJ. Obviously, everyone on OBJ's side in this one, he's obviously not happy. I think we saw another reporter say the relationship between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. is not good, unsalvageable, et cetera. Does this remind you of anything? The same situation with the New York Giants and Eli Manning. Like, this reminds me of my dad's divorces. You know, my dad gets divorced two or three times, and every single time it's their fault. I don't know if that's the case. It's not, it can't always be that you're running into, you know, unsalvageable relationships on their end. This is a two, it takes two to tango here. I think there is some fault for OBJ. And I'm not saying he's like abstaining from any fault here, but like this isn't a free OBJ situation. This is a very good Browns football team that has done a lot to build around Baker Mayfield, add Kevin Stefanski, a very good defense. I think we'll be saying free OBJ regardless of the QB pairing at this point. I don't feel that there is an obvious landing
1: spot. Do you? No, and that's... It's more like who would want him at this point? It's like what teams, even throughout the NFL, would be willing to take on Odell Beckham at this point after, like you said, this happening, two separate occasions. And I'm not sure how many there would be. I mean, maybe the Chiefs, maybe the Pats, because the Pats obviously have a history of stuff like that, but that's about all I can say.
0: Sorry. Sorry. We were talking, this is part of the Catch and Early Buzz segment, I apologize, the, we were talking before the air that the Henry Ruggs stuff, Yeah, Henry Ruggs, TMZ confirms that he was involved in a serious car accident in Las Vegas that looked, for Holy early shit. reports, very bad, I'm not going to speak to anything, it, it, you can look it up yourself, but it is a very bad car accident, and uh, three minutes ago, someone died, right? Is yeah, that, I, yeah, I believe that is what's being reported, yeah. I don't want to speak to everything confirmed, but... Um, TMC as of three minutes ago, Henry Ruggs involved in a serious car accident Tuesday morning in Las Vegas. Um, it, it doesn't look good. It, it looks um, it looks good. It, it does not look good. I think it's a fatal car accident. Um, that is uh, obviously concerning. I guess I'm I'm in my opinion just going to re-report that news. I don't know if I can speak to anything more than that.
1: I was going to say we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. We probably should make an addendum to this at some point before we do release that.
0: Absolutely. Um, Interesting. That is interesting, terrible, awful. Um, Moving off this Catch and Early Buzz segment, we started with Monkey Stripper here, and we ended up getting into something much more serious, which is a hard change of pace. But I know another part of this podcast that we wanted to go over was the College Football Prospect Risers and Fallers 2022 NFL Draft. I'm super excited on this running back room here. You got some risers on this running back room, starting with Kenneth Walker, who is on today's show right here. Kenneth Walker, the third, um, put an absolute hurt on the number one ranked run defense and EPA per, per rush allowed in Michigan. And not in Michigan, in East Lansing, but against Michigan. And honestly, it was a stunning performance. And it's exactly, he's exactly the type of back that PFF always gets after guys that force missed tackles and gain yards after contact through week eight, or week nine, rather. No running back in the history of PFF charting college football dates back to 2014 has forced more missed tackles in the first nine week stretch or gained more yards left to contact than Kenneth Walker, the best we've seen to start
1: a season through nine weeks. He has been phenomenal. Nothing short of it. Insane, man. This was a next level performance. And just, I love the way he hits the line of scrimmage. I mean, he will hit it at a hundred miles an hour. One of his touchdown runs was just shot out of a cannon and, very translatable running style, in my opinion, to the NFL in the way he runs. In that, like I said, the the fear at which he or the lack of fear, the just the pure confidence he attacks, tight windows, rushing through the line of scrimmage is exactly what you'd love to see for guys projecting to the next level. Averaging over five yards per contact after attempt, almost seven per after contact against Michigan. If he's not your running back, running back one right now, I, I have Serious questions. He has put on an absolute show this season. And if he's not your front runner for the Heisman, either, I have questions because really? yes, he may not end up being that. But they are undefeated because of him. You have a run of the mill average college running back right now. They have probably three losses. Like this, I mean, is, he had all five touchdowns against yes, Michigan. <laughs> like they, they win that game because of him. Like that, those runs were not would not a lot of those are not getting made by again your run of the mill college running back. So, wow, yeah, high Walker. praise for Kenneth Walker. He also sat down with Trevor
0: Sikama, an analyst here at PFF, and it was a phenomenal interview. His aspirations transferring from Wake Forest after the 2020 season, where he earned an 87.1 PFF grade, who only played 284 snaps, obviously in a COVID abbreviated season, transfers because he didn't feel like he was being utilized as he wanted, and that offense doesn't run the football a ton, goes to Michigan State and is having a stellar year, and he put... In his notes app, I believe, I want to be in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Buddy, through nine weeks, you are well on your way. He has been nothing short of phenomenal, as I said. Other running back on this list that you wanted to highlight as a riser, Kyron Williams, Notre Dame back, Golden Domer, who I think was RB9 for you Mm -hmm. early in the season, but has moved up board since then.
1: Uh, Not a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but, I mean, this was just a – he was very rough early on. I mean – Full games where he had 2.3 yards per carry, 1.8 yards per carry, 3.5 yards per carry. Just n- tough sledding. A- and it wasn't even that much better sledding, I'll say, against North Carolina, but I think he has made, I don't want to say made changes, but he has appreciably overcome it the past two weeks, where it was 138 yards against USC, his first 100 yard game of the season, and then 202 against North Carolina. And coming back after an ankle injury, and just like the Notre Dame program, you talk to anyone around it, they love this dude, the personality that he has, what he brings to the table, the leadership perspective. I think a lot of NFL evaluators are going to fall in love with that part of his game, the pass protection, all those sort of intangibles that we don't quantify in a grading system here at PFF, he is bringing to the table. So he will go, I would say, probably fairly highly compared to maybe you know pure physical talent, what he brings to the table. At the running back position because he has all those other things and in this one like i said hurts his ankle gets it taped up comes back rips off a 91 yard run in that i think it was the start of the fourth quarter to really break that game wide open and a big win for notre dame Kyron Williams, five
0: foot nine, one 199, and I think we've had some conversations about his size and how that shows up in the NFL, but he is averaging 3.8 yards after contact per attempt, 34 missed tackles on 143 attempts so far this season, coming off easily one of his best games of the year. I wanted to bring up another running back. He's not on your list, but we were just on the call with Maxwell and the Bednarik mm-hmm. committee, and a name that was being discussed was Tyler Algier of BYU, a guy that I know you really liked I think last season, I think we liked him as a top 10 running back this in the preseason. He's coming off a big game against Virginia. He has been really, really box score productive. What have you seen on tape from Algier?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a big outside. Like, I'm not going to say he's comparable to Derrick Henry, but like the offense he operates in, he, he's like a college version of Derrick Henry in that guys just bounce off of him. And now it is concerning. It is concerning. The concerning thing is he's, you know, so physically dominant when he plays Virginia's defense, like he did this past week. When he plays Utah State's defense, like earlier in the season. But then we talked about it: Baylor, 2.2 yards per carry, 33 yards on 15 carries. Uh, Arizona State, 69 yards on 21 carries. The better defenses he's faced, gotten him bottled up, and he is more of a one-cut, one-speed type of runner. He's not making you miss. So kind of a one-trick pony. That's more of a later round guy in our eyes at that point. Though.
0: Still, I think with him, very productive college back. Yeah. You know, he's that, that classic college back that um, can have a lot of success, but maybe when translating to the NFL, you're looking for more you mm. know, athleticism, agility, etc. Another guy on your list that I think is a riser from already a high spot, N'Kobe Dean, the Georgia linebacker who is a horse man 91.8 pff grade this past week against Florida had one pressure with had the, what the pick 6 and he was phenomenal in this game he continues to look like that next guy at the linebacker position
1: yeah he's he's been insane this year like I, he's exceeded even my expectations and he was our linebacker one heading into the year so i've been incredibly impressed with him and especially in coverage like he's done a lot more diverse things like he's it, the pick 6 came from a wide corner alignments. And obviously it's man coverage and they split out. I believe it was the running back out there. Try to throw him a hitch and Dean keys three-step and and picks off a hitch and takes it back the other way. That is like special stuff that you just don't see linebackers having that level of confidence. The breakup on fourth down that should have been another pick that he could have picked off, hit his hands, was another route that's just like special coverage skills and what he can do from a blitzing perspective, 90.9 pass rushing grade this season. He is your modern linebacker, even if he's not, you know, six four with a big wingspan more in the Devin Bush, Devin White mold of linebacker, but this guy's going in the first round. Ooh, I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to give it away, but this guy's going in the first round. Oh, uh, uh-oh, the first round lock list,
0: a little teaser. Yeah. George Karloftis next on your list here, the Purdue edge defender, you know, one of the top Freaks List members on Bruce Meldon's Freaks List. Also, someone everyone loves on that same committee we spoke to, the Bednarik committee, Phil Steele, a big fan of George Karloftis. Him coming off the highest pass single-game pass rushing grade, eight total pressures against Nebraska.
1: Yeah, this was just another in the long list of every single game. It seems like Karloftis Loftus is just stuffing stat sheets, stuffing the grading system. Actually, the last one didn't make sense. I don't know how you stuffed the grading system. But, but I'll show you. Eight pressures <laughs> in this game, consistently setting a hard edge there against Nebraska. Now Nebraska's deep offensive line. Whatever. But, my God, like Loftus, I already put him on the first-round lock list last week, and – is only getting better, only improved as this season has gone along. And for him to play as many snaps as he does, you feel really confident about that guy translating to the NFL. Another
0: edge defender, Majay Sanders, the Cincinnati Edge, who we had really high expectations for entering the mm-hmm. season in 2020, he had a 90.1 PFF pass rushing grade with 44 total pressures. Also, one of the highest pass rush win rates on true pass sets. This past week against Tulane, 91.7 PFF pass rushing grade, four total pressures, three sacks. He was phenomenal, and I I continue to think that. He's a player that I do think gets better in the NFL. Six foot five, two yes. 255. He is continuing to develop at this position. A very young player, too. I like MyJ Sanders a lot. Huge to
1: see him grading really well down the stretch. Yeah, he had a very quiet first six or so games. And not even just from a grading perspective. He didn't have a sack until this past week. He only had six run stops through the first six games this season. Like, he was legitimately not as impactful as he was even in 2020, but this past week against Tulane, three sacks, two more run stops, a forced fumble. He was everywhere and, and really played a little more physical game than we've seen from in the past. Kind of, you get to that senior year and everyone's in your ear talking about the draft. It's very easy to be wary of like getting hurt, you know, protecting yourself, maybe not going full bore and, uh, it, uh, on certain plays and really craving that contact. And I thought you saw a different guy in this two-lane game than we had seen in games past.
0: Before we get on to the fallers here, I want to shout out the Tailgate Podcast promo code. You can go to PFF.com right now, use promo code TAILGATE to save 25% off any PFF subscription. If you are looking to support Mike directly, his family directly, go to PFF.com, use promo code TAILGATE, 25% off, any PFF subscription, that gets you his draft guide, that gets you all the draft information that we're going to be writing over the offseason. Also, fantasy football, betting, all that stuff. Anything football, really, go to PFF.com, subscribe, promo code TAILGATE. Followers here. Drake London, by no fault of his own, is falling. Yes. But the injury will affect, obviously Impossible. affect, his draft status. He has... I think a confirmed broken ankle, yes. which is more positive than ligament damage. I think we said that as soon as, um, you know, as yeah. soon as he got hurt, seeing that the air cast was immediately out, I think that was a huge positive for me. Not a huge positive, but silver lining on what is an absolute hurricane for Drake London, but um, a faller nonetheless.
1: Yes, uh, an, an injury that does not have kind of the long term ramifications or possible sort of. Or the worrisome recovery of, like you said, ligament damage or whether it was like a full broken leg, tib-fib, something like that. London, just just a broken ankle. But a broken ankle is still, I mean, it's going to hamper your draft stock when you're not going to go through the pre-draft process. We already question his speed. He's not going to be able to run a 40, most likely, uh, prior to the draft, or even if he does, it's not going to be his best because he's not going to have a full lead-up in terms of training and whatnot into it. So that's obviously going to hurt him, and it's also going to hurt him in that there is a number of wide receivers. We've talked about it. Like the list is all over the map where how people stack up this class is going to be all over the map. And I do think it's not going to hurt him necessarily too much because if you are evaluating this wide receiver class, he is kind of stands alone in his skill set and that there's not a competing guy like him. Jalen Burks is a big wide receiver, but a vastly different type of big wide receiver. Drake London is your possession, yak, that sort of guy. Mm-hmm. Red zone. That's him. He's the best at it in the draft class. There's no debate in that. And this ankle injury is not going to all of a sudden change that. Mm-hmm. Like There's no other guy where I'm like, oh, they're kind of close, so let me go the other guy now. No, if you want that guy in your offense, if that's what you're looking for, you're still probably going to draft Drake London, wherever that is.
0: The, the unfortunate stuff, too, and I keep bringing up this call that we have at the meeting because we are starting talking college football awards, is everyone on that call is like, man, he was the obvious favorite to win the Fred Bolitnikoff Award yes. this year, and now going to be difficult to do so. And like we were having the conversation, it's like there's no other receiver we even want to put on the Maxwell list. It's like Drake London was it. And then obviously you could have a conversation between the Ohio State guys, Wilson Olave, you know, David Bell was in the conversation, um, you know, Jalen Tolbert of South Alabama. Like at that point, it's like, okay, are we forcing a wide receiver in after Drake London because he's hurt? It's definitely an unfortunate situation. He was well on his way to earning that, um, you know, Fred Balitnikoff Award an unfortunate injury for drake london definitely um you know prayers up for him to get healthy soon next faller here your guy new friend of the show both these guys are fallers and friends of the show yeah. damn it tanner mckee stanford on the fallers list
1: yeah going up against the washington secondary that's very good and that was basically what is the first game where it really seemed like the kind of first dud on tanner mckee's schedule and why i've said there's more than likely a chance that while we love the skill, oh I love the talent, this guy's coming back in 2022. Yeah, oh, 100%. To Stanford, just because he's not going to be able to put enough, up enough good tape, one, in that offense, two, with the talent around him. And, yeah, he didn't have many windows, but it also went south on him in a hurry in that game, no touchdown passes, two picks, 21 of 32 for 194 against Washington. So Tanner McKee. Good news for Stanford fans. He's going to be there 2022.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to Watch Wednesdays, that's our Bust Watch, our other Bust Watch, Whiff Watch, Breakout Watch, all that stuff, the first-round lock segment, watch et cetera, watch. and, of course, the interviews with Seth Galena, Max Mitchell, and Travis Jones, DraftKings, NFL fans hungry for a big win, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets, winner-winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. In Sportsbook, if Sportsbook. Sportsbook isn't available in your state. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team. To win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Watch Wednesdays. Here we go. Bust watch. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We didn't like this pick when it happened. No one did. No one did, to (laughs) be fair. Titus Howard
1: of the Houston Texans officially on bust watch he was the the quintessential I like this guy but holy shit I don't like him that much that when he got drafted 23rd I think he was he was like 50th overall on the PFF draft board in 2019 when he Mm -hmm. came up and I'm like oh you know had a good senior bowl he goes in the second round somewhere it's a nice developmental tackle out of Alabama State Alabama State well He was actually a better tackle than he was at guard, but they still moved him inside to guard. Left guard this year. It's been a disaster. 38.7 overall grade. He is the lowest graded tackle in the NFL, already given up 16 pressures. Excuse me, lowest graded guard in the NFL. Already given up 16 pressures, averaging two pressures a game. It's been ugly, and that's for your 23rd, your first-round pick. And you haven't had a lot of first-round picks in the Houston Texans. And for that guy to be one of the worst guards in the NFL, not even a tackle anymore, one of the worst guards, is not good. Is why the Texans are the Texans.
0: Yeah, I mean, just Just one of the reasons. 38.7 overall grade, a 39.4 run-blocking grade, and he has one game above 60 this year. It's been consistently bad. Not up-and-down play based on competition. It has been consistently bad for Titus Howard, the former Alabama State first-rounder. That is concerning. I don't know if Titus Howard will be starting much more. I think it's not even Bust Watch too. We've included some second-year guys on this list. Mm-hmm. He was a 2019 first-rounder. Yeah, he has 1,800 snaps in his career, has never earned a PFF grade above 62.1 in any single season. And this, his third season, you know, where we talk about offensive line play, maybe getting to that third year and developing, has been the worst start of any season he's had this year in his career Yeah, in terms of PFF grade. So some concern there, some Bust Watch there for Titus Howard, the Houston Texans guard. Bust Watch You can guess what type of bust this is. What J.J. Watt, Arizona Cardinals? He will miss the end of the or the rest of the season with an injury. But man, I don't care if he never never plays another down. He is on official Hall of Fame bust watch.
1: Yeah, this one was. I mean, after 2015, you probably could have put him in. I just wanted to give him his due because that might be it. Yeah, honestly, this is his like fourth, maybe catastrophic-ish, like very bad injury he obviously had. Uh, and knees, had shoulder issues before. This one was like a complete blowout of his shoulder, biceps, tendon, whatever. It all tore up there. So he's going to be 33 in February. That's, I mean, he was still playing at a high level this year, 83.1 pass rushing grade at that age. But I don't know how much longer a guy like that will want to play when obviously his body is just getting torn to shreds, unfortunately. But he was still, in my opinion, the best defensive player I've seen since Reggie White, at defensive lineman, I'll say, since Reggie White. I think he's, at his peak, at his peak, was better than Aaron Donald. The peak did not last long because, again, 2016, 2017, he played f- fewer than 400 snaps total between those years due to injury. But man, back in 2014, he had 65 quarterback hits in sacks combined. That was over twice as many as the next closest player in the NFL. A- and it's like, you can talk pressures all you want, Hits are a little different. Like actually getting to a quarterback and bringing him to the ground is a little different animal than just putting a guard in a quarterback's lap. And J.J. Watt did it twice as many times as anyone else. Still far and away the PFF record for that in a single season. He was an animal back in the day. Sadly. All too short-lived.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was... I wouldn't say it's as short of a peak. You know, there's a lot of conversation in terms of Hall of Fame between, like, Frank Gore and Jamal Charles. And Jamal Charles had this, like, was excellent yeah. for this smaller stretch, but his stretch was even smaller than what J.J. Watt's was. Like, J.J. Watt was dominant for, like, five years, three to four, five years, and instead, Jamal Charles had, like, kind of more of a two- to three-year burn, but J.J. Watt, an obvious Hall of Famer. Next on our list here, Wiff Watch. I loved him coming out, too, man. I thought he was going to be... A monster. And he's still only twenty-six years old. We'll see. We'll see. Could develop. I don't yeah. know. Will Hernandez, the former UTEP guard, a second round pick that actually drafted 34th overall by the New York Giants in 2018. Has played a ton of snaps too. Played over a thousand snaps both his first and second seasons in the NFL, just five hundred in twenty twenty and off to you know five hundred plus in twenty twenty one, but has never earned a PFF grade above 60.0 after his rookie season has not developed as a lot of people expected, including PFF.
1: Well, he's probably the biggest indictment of Giants offensive line coaching since Joe Judge got there as anyone because he had his highest graded year as a rookie back in 2018. Pass blocking perspective, run blocking perspective, and is now in the midst of his lowest graded year in year four, which that's not how it almost ever works at the guard position. You don't come in and look good out the gate and then end up sucking without, you know, too many serious injuries like it wasn't injury related going from year 1 to year 2 why he fell off. He just has not developed and that's again offensive line coaching, but still, he's at 17th overall player on the PFF draft back in 2018. I thought this guy was going to be a mauler. Has not lived up to that. I still think change of scenery, it could be a starting guard somewhere. Competent guard, but only 57.8 overall grade so far this season and an ugly one against Chris Jones, where he gave up a sack, a hit, in two hurries on Monday night.
0: Yeah, the, the pass blocking is one thing. Like he had the highest pass blocking grade as a rookie and has gotten worse every single year. But there has been some speculation in his rookie season. They ran 61% zone concept. Since then, it's been 50%, 30 and 39%. Moving away from that zone scheme may be a factor in that as well. A change of scenery, he feels like a prime candidate for one to yeah. see if he can maybe get back on where people expected him. But officially on Whiff Watch, 17th overall player in 2018.
1: I a know. guard? I know. I like that guard class. It was Isaiah Wynn, Quentin Nelson, him. Obviously, we thankfully had Wynn ahead of him, who's looked very good, and obviously Nelson ahead of both of them. But uh, Hernandez did not quite pan. Um, On the breakout watch former friend of the podcast,
0: also in a tremendous story, a former three-star recruit for Virginia, Bryce Hall, who on the interview and in interviews past, he's talked about how he had so much self-awareness on that he was never going to be the most athletic player on the field. Yeah. And he has leveraged you know film study, technique, these different things to be an above-average player before the injury he had in his senior season at Virginia. Now 72.9 PFF coverage gra- grade for the New York Jets this season, playing a lot better than that fifth-round pick would you, know, you would expect.
1: Yes, Hall. We was a guy who was 50, 49th Excuse me on the PFF draft board coming out. We loved him. He's a testament. We talked about Drake London breaking his ankle, falling down draft boards, and it not really. Hopefully, sh- shouldn't be have long term effects. Bryce Hall had the same injury coming out of Virginia. Obviously, falls to the fifth round pick one fifty eight because of it, and he's been excellent. I mean, starts second half of last season, starter this year. He is probably your starting one, the one guy that. Uh, in that secondary, in that cornerback group, excuse me, that you can rely on to start going forward. Obviously, you have to find another one, but he looks very good this year, averaging under one yard per coverage snap, hasn't allowed more than 71 yards in any single game this season. Perfect fit for Robert Sullivan's defense. And – oh, okay, I want to tell a story about Bryce Hall that we – fucked up on when he was coming out I, I wrote an article about I think it was about the quarterback group's article and the, we put a picture in mm-hmm. the picture of Bryce Hall was literally with his ankle like hanging and, and I remember like oh, reading the article right. it was like I the only that. picture remember we could that. find of him and like the person didn't notice it it was like him uh kind of like sitting on the ground but like it was right after he had broken his ankle and so his ankle is hanging and i'm like i remember dming i think it was you immediately i'm like dude change this picture this looks awful it's like a terrible look i remember like that we had put it in the article we just didn't notice Uh, obviously not looking at the guy's ankle but it was literally immediately after and uh thankfully
0: i have the picture right here i'm not yeah. i'm not meaning to laugh but um, everything worked out for him so i'm in wordpress
1: right now looking at our like
0: media library and it is right there he is pointing to the sideline holding his left leg and his ankle is legitimately snapped <laughs> and, that was and the we the had it. we a feature with. image we had it. a feature <laughs> image for this article how what a disaster that was and we, we even have the image that oh, we switched dude. to right after that that is uh, not incredible but a funny story nonetheless um it's like the eater Gross Matos story. I don't want to retell mm, that to one. Retell that. I don't want to retell that one, but it's very similar to that one. Washed Watch. Danny Amendola and Adrian Peterson newly signed to the Tennessee Titans. Adrian Peterson, both officially on Washed
1: Watch. Both officially 36 years old. What spurred this was today is Danny Amendola's birthday. I believe, mm-hmm. November 2nd, the day we're recording this. Danny Amendola's birthday, it turns 36. If you don't count Matthew Slater, he is the oldest wide receiver in the NFL. I legitimately did not know until I started looking up who the oldest players were in the NFL that Danny Amendola was still in the league. And do you know what team Danny Amendola plays for right now? Uh, Lions. Nope, he plays for the Houston Texans. Uh, does he really? <laughs> The fact that the Houston Texans signed a thirty, soon to be thirty-six-year-old wide receiver who has now sixty-three yards on the season never ceases to you amaze me. What they're doing. Underestimate down
0: there. But, the veteran presence that he brings to that sideline, though, and the culture that they're building in Houston.
1: But it's safe to say, Danny Amendola's best days are behind him. Why, why? Good on him for getting a paycheck, but my God, Houston. What the fuck are we doing down there? No one knows. No one knows. And then Adrian Peterson gets a shout out for getting signed. He, I love the tweet from CBS Sports saying, oh, Adrian Peterson doesn't have big plays in him. This was less than three years ago, the tweet. Oh <laughs> and then it showed a runner from, like, what was it, 2019, that he had a long run. It was just like, dude. Less than three years ago for a guy who's 36 years old. As I can attest at 31. Three years ago, I would moved a lot differently than I do now.
0: And when you talk about you know, getting shit on for getting signed, it's not on Adrian Pearson.
1: It's on the Tennessee Titans yes. think they can
0: you know, hit the tread on this guy.
1: Yeah. It's, All right. Last one here. Everyone, everyone, of... everyone gets old. It sucks, but yeah. everyone does. We're not burning you for that. You should put
0: that on a social graphic. Social everyone gets old, I think, could yeah. be really helpful news for everyone today.
1: Last one here, and you kind of already hinted at it. First round lock segment. You are adding who? It's a like Kobe Dean, Georgia linebacker. And i going out maybe on a limb here because linebacker, linebacker. They don't go in the first round every year. And he is not your, he doesn't look like Isaiah Simmons. Everyone could have told you Isaiah Simmons went in the first round. It didn't really matter how well he played his last year. He's 6'4", 240, and runs a 4'3". Kobe Dean's foot 225. Not your run-of-the-mill specimen, but no one plays faster at a linebacker position in college football. He has No one has graded better at the linebacker position in college football this year. 91.9 overall grade. Not a single bad game. Not a single below average game grade on the season. Which at the linebacker position in college football in this day and age is a damn near impossible thing to do because they are under attack. But that just shows you how quick this guy is seeing the game of football. So many plays week after week on his tape where it's just he is so quick to read that this guy is going to be... A first-rounder. Like I said, he's a first-round lock segment. So. Love it. Love it. How many you have now there? Can you give us an update? we got 11. So the update goes, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, Evan Neal, Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, DeMarvin Leal, Tyler Linderbaum, Garrett Wilson, Icky Aquanu, George Karloftis, and Kobe Dean. Wow. Heavy on the defense. What do we got? Only th- three def- three offensive guys on that? I
0: love that there are no QBs. There are no, no QBs. QBs that I am locking in. If you in had to, round. don't don't lock them in. But if you had to put one in right now, would you, who would it be? If you had a uh, gun to your head, quarterback has to go on this list. Oof. Corral. Corral.
1: I put Corral. Nice. Just because, Corral got a
0: big game this week.
1: Yeah. Well, Malik's got the bigger game. You know, yeah, I, I, mean, him, I mean,
0: it's going to yeah. be a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> Could be fun to watch, actually. Uh, all right. Let's uh, jump off this now. Before we get to the Seth Galena interview, then we have interviews with Max Mitchell and Travis Jones, Western Southern, proud sponsor of the Tailgate podcast. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help you put ahead, put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear more about Chris's old playing days? Behind the scenes on Al. With Al on Sunday Night Football, how about a need-to-know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both, and every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a cater party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash Chris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash Chris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, let's bring Seth Galena onto the mix. To clarify from earlier, before we bring Seth Galena on, I know we mentioned the Henry Ruggs TMZ report, that he was involved in a serious car crash in Las Vegas. Reports now that Metro Police confirmed Raiders player Henry Ruggs was the driver in the morning's fatal car crash and showed signs of impairment. He will be charged with a DUI resulting in death. And in uh, just an awful. I was going to say unfortunate. Awful, awful circumstance for obviously you know rugs and everyone involved in that. Definitely um, thinking of the families affected. It was an awful scene. That is rough to see. Um, and nothing more on that. All right, Seth Galina joining the show finally back. Is this the first time back since the Justin Herbert?
1: Clip? Yes. I think it is, actually. That's a great call. What, what are
0: you guys talking about? Who remembers about? that? <laughs> I, I, don't know I feel what like you guys not are enough tail uh, formerly two for one drafts doesn't get enough credit for that viral clip. Because you were on and it was one of the first times we met you too. <laughs> we met you in Mobile and we're talking about that quarterback class, and then you drop obviously the infamous take that he can't play, and then the rest is history. The rest is history. And um <laughs> It's actually not, it's present. It's actually
1: omnipresent. <laughs> I, and probably I, for the next fifteen or so years. we'll
2: be <laughs> So I wrote an article last year about how the Patriots just kind of disguised their coverages against Justin Herbert last year when they played them. So I was looking for it because they just had Chargers just played the Patriots mm-hmm. last week. So I was looking for that article, and of course, like you know, like an idiot, I googled Seth Definitely Kalina Justin, Justin Herbert, and that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I uh, had to go to bed early that night. I slept a long time just to like you know let yeah. it wash off me. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, bad.
0: the official Chargers social media account has called you out like twice. I mean, it has been not great. And
2: I keep giving them my Venmo, uh, hoping that they would give me some reparations. That's super fair.
0: Honestly, defamation or whatever, defamation, whatever that is. (laughs) Defamation. You only read that word. That was tough. That was tough. Let's uh, definitely get off the Justin Herbert topic. I know... Mike, you wanted to talk to Seth a lot about the college football awards. Um, Mike and I were just on the committee. You weren't invited, so but we'll we'll include you. <laughs> That's in some of the better things to do. Uh, <laughs> which well, I- let's get some conversation around the college football awards. And then I actually wrote down a handful of questions too that I want to throw your way. I know we were talking a little bit last night, but let's start with the college football awards. Mike, did you want to give your take and then hear Seth's opinion and how do you want this feel we'll
1: like? Who we think is going to win these or who right. we think should win these gotcha. at this point in time, obviously. Well, we could just do the big dogs. Mm-hmm. We could do the Maxwell, the Bednarik, because that's where we're we're all on the committee for that. Technically, even though you didn't show up to the meeting, we all we all were on the selection committee uh, for that over the weekend. So, thoughts on the Maxwell Award? Do we have the the full list of guys that we ended up picking in front I of us here? Don't
0: have them in front. He of actually me. never
1: shared the list with us. He never shared the during list during the with call, us. but. He was looking for Seth is why. Yeah. Who do we think should be the finalists for the Maxwell Award? Three finalists. We obviously named a list of 15 mm-hmm. semifinalists over the weekend. But who do you think should be the finalists for the Maxwell Award at this point in time, which would be the best players in college football. Usually that one's more offensively focused. But you can. I think there's been defensive players that have been at least involved in it in the past. So you want right now
0: who my finalist yes. be? I, I do think I need Stroud in there. And I know you're You've a big of You've been CJ's banging Stroud. the
1: Stroud table. I've been banging the Stroud but it's, table. <sighs> okay, here's the thing about Stroud. He has the best, the best surrounding cast, supporting cast yeah. in America. And it's not even close. And it's like, yeah, he's been good. But that's the best supporting cast in America. And, and he also I don't want to say lost the Oregon game, but like was a big factor in them losing 100%. the one loss they had this year. Okay. So that that's like hard See, for me to really like. I have put. to
2: push back against that because I, they scored a bunch of points in that game. It was his fourth ever start. Yeah, and the defense was was as bad as we've seen an Ohio State defense be in in a few years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, since the Indiana game last year at least. So I don't want to put that all on C.J. Stroud. The defense should have just made a play once in a while. Like yeah, 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 Once in a while, the defense got to make a defensive play defensive performance
0: you. was horrendous.
2: Horrendous. So, like, let's not put it all on C.J. Stroud, who made a bunch of big throws. And he's been so much better since that game as well. So, I'm, yeah, and yeah, you,
0: like you said, I am a big C.J. Stroud fan. I think Stroud should be – I would pick Stroud. I would pick Kenneth Walker, the Michigan State running back. He's mm-hmm. right there. And I would also pick one of – and I don't know who – I think I would lean Bryce Young. But I'd pick one of Bryce Young or Matt Corral. Those would be my three finalists right now.
2: I like Kenneth Walker, and I'm kind of hoping Kenneth Walker wins the Heisman. To tell you the truth, mm-hmm. because I think we need we need a running back to win. We we can't have this quarterback award. I know the receiver won it last yeah. year. It would be nice to see a running back who's grinded his way, had some re- obviously some huge runs against Michigan in the rivalry game. I don't know how the season's going to end for Michigan State, but hopefully he gets some good opportunities to to get in the end zone and pad his stats because he's been. I'm not saying he's the best player in college football, but I think. Michigan State's been a great story. Mm-hmm. He's been a great story a great yeah. himself, yeah. you know, transferring from Wake Forest, and and he's been
0: really good, so I'm hoping. He had, he had plenty of opportunities to find the end zone against Michigan, all five touchdowns in that game. Who are your
1: finalists, Mike? I, Kenneth Walker would be my winner right now, Wow, and obviously a finalist. I would also throw Kenny Pickett firmly into the finalist conversation. I, I just think he's been excellent. The losses, they've – as much as – we said, you know, C.J. Stroud, a lot of the losses on Ohio State's defense. Pittsburgh's losses were 100% on their defense so far this season. So he has been excellent week in and week out. The last one is probably the biggest. Uh, three, those two I'd feel the most confident in putting in the mix. The third guy is really up for grabs at this point. Still, so I would probably lean Bryce Young. He's been a little bit more consistent, I'd say, than C.J. Stroud. But yeah. that one's a tough sort of the number three on that list is uh, to me it's one and two and then number three is a far uh is a ways down on the list. Matt Curl's
2: out
0: now after last week can he can he rebuild his image? When the injury
1: with the injury is just tough to like put him in there as well.
0: Seth you've been on the college football live show that airs on Fridays at 11 a.m. talking a little bit about how Alabama is vulnerable but you've been focusing more on the defense side of ball. is any of that Bryce Young?
2: No, well, vulnerable. I mean, look, he's only going to be making. you know, Once they get into these big, bigger games, uh, unfortunately, LSU is not a big game anymore this weekend. <laughs> but they have the Iron Bowl coming up in a few weeks, and then they'll have. You would assume the SEC championship game. Though I think Auburn can win the Iron Bowl this year. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine? So, are fun. you big on Bo Nix or what is it? I'm 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 big on a Bo Nix game every five weeks mm-hmm. and maybe and I think the timing is right for he just so he's gonna beat Ole Miss this week they might lose a couple of games I'm sorry he beat Ole Miss last week they might lose a couple of games
0: right, I think they're four and a half point dogs Texas a m this week <laughs> I don't know. I think they might lose What's the biggest A&M. Interesting. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Alabama rolls in the Iron Bowl. And I also think Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC Championship. I think Social is putting out my college football playoff rankings that are going to get absolutely murdered on Social. But I, I do think that Alabama is that good. Um, do you want to flip to the Bed and Eric now, Mike?
1: Yes. Let's get to the Bed and Eric. I, actually, I have the list now of the... Love all the guys. We include eighteen guys in the Bednarik. Can, we can I say my Bednarik deep like thing before we get into who's actually on it it. Well, it's just that it's, it's just play. that
2: the best player over the past three years in college football has been Derek Stingley, and it's yeah. just unfortunate that we haven't been able to see him for the last two years because of injury. Yeah, and we won't see him again uh, suiting up in college. But he would have won the Bednarik one of
1: these years if yeah. he was healthy. No, yes, yeah, you are not wrong about that. He was even when he was healthy this year, he held really one catch, like that was it in three games. So. Ben Narrick, semifinalist right here. Will Anderson, Alabama, the edge, Roger McCreary, the Auburn corner, Ahmad Gardner, the Cincy corner, Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State edge, Jordan Davis, the Georgia defensive tackle, Nicobe Dean, Georgia linebacker, Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan edge, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame safety, Nick Benito, Oklahoma edge, Kayvon Thibodeau, the Oregon edge, Quan Brisker, the Penn State safety, George Koloff, just the Purdue edge, Cameron Thomas, the Go Aztecs edge, San Diego State, Kingsley and Agbar. Re uh, South Carolina edge DeMarvin Leal Texas and m edge a lot of edges Devin Lloyd the Utah linebacker Leo Chanel Wisconsin linebacker and then Chad Muma the Wyoming linebacker. So that is your list. Who do you put as your finalist? So
2: so my 3 would be Nicobe Dean Aiden Hutchinson and those are the top 2 for sure mm-hmm. and then I want to add in your safety man from oh, Notre Dame Cameron My thing with Kyle Hampton, so my three, so Kyle Hampton, what I saw that I loved and has nothing to do with his play at safety is that he's the punt gunner. Yeah. Like he gets down the field, he plays special teams. You love to see a guy with that type of future in the NFL What did Eric say teams.
0: last night when we were watching the Giants game? You love to see like a selfless running back. It's like a selfless selfless star, I think is, is is good to see. Yeah.
2: So and then Aiden Hutchinson's just been unblockable this whole year. There's nothing else to say about it. He was unblockable against a, a pretty good offensive line in Michigan State last week, mm-hmm. or at least they graded pretty
0: high going into that game. Unblockable against Washington and one of the yeah. one of the bigger name you know, Jackson NFL draft prospects. Yep.
2: And then and then number one for me is Nicobe Dean. I just love watching him play football. I don't even like whatever you want to think about value of linebackers versus edge versus pass rush. Uh sorry, versus pass rush versus coverage, whatever. He's my favorite player to watch in college football, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh the way he he gets sideline to sideline like a bullet. He's unbelievable. He covers people out of the backfield. He blitzes like a man man. Um to Kirby has done a good job of just like convincing these guys to play for the Georgia Bulldogs. He yeah. convinces everyone on defense to play for each other, and you can see it on the field. My,
0: my take is uh, I have three that are very similar, but Jordan Davis I don't even think should be in this conversation. I mean, Jordan Davis does not play enough football. He does I mean, not play enough that's snaps. The problem.
1: I'm very worried that he's going to not only be a finalist for this. But win. But win. Because he's 6'6", 340, and every single broadcast it's all I talk about. Because he's obviously the— Feature head or figurehead, excuse me, for you know an imposing defense because he is the most fucking imposing stature-wise defensive lineman in college football. And he is. And he's very good in the run game. Single-blocking him does not end well the vast majority of the time. But he has half as many pressures as N'Kobe Dean does, and he plays a position where every single <laughs> pass play, he's rushing the passer. So he's been on the field 190 total snaps all season long. You cannot give that guy... An award for the best defensive player, for the most impactful defensive player in the country, when you have played that a that conversation
0: years. when we get on the committee with Bill <laughs> Steele and all those guys—if there are people banging the table for Davis, will be a phenomenal.
2: Can't you can just make the argument that his buddy Jalen Carter deserves it more than him yeah. at this point in the yeah. season? Jalen Carter, and, and this and is, is not—I I think prospect. any of us are knocking Jordan Davis. No, no, not Because he is an incredibly all. fun yeah. player to watch, and just he's going to be a good NFL player too. Um, but even Jalen Carter, who plays next to him and subs is for awesome. him, is, has been awesome as and well. Has played more snaps also. Here's my <laughs> So three. it's
1: like you got Kirby Smart there out snapping. Like giving one guy more reps usually <laughs> means, you know, that guy's the one who's impacting the game a little more.
0: Here's but. my three, and it doesn't include Cameron Thomas of San Diego State, despite being an Because well, he's
2: one, like, above everyone else. Exactly. He's exactly. ascended yeah, to yeah, a new yeah. level. Yeah, it's not
0: even been record. Yeah. It's something bigger. It's something better. But I like the Kobe Dean at one, Aiden Hutchinson at two. And my three, actually is Garner Gardner, Cincy. If he does go into the playoff as number two, the season that he has had, not just this year, but last year, has been one of the most impressive... Of any cornerback in the country, they're not throwing the football at him. He plays a physical brand at that position, a unique brand at that position, a unique sauce nickname as well It has to factor in. You know, talk about you know, when the broadcast highlights the defense, that is the guy. That is the guy. And they have Maje Sanders, and they have other talented players. I really do think that Ahmad Garner should be the number three. Does he win? Maybe not, because Georgia is going to be maybe number one in the country. And then obviously Aiden Hutchinson plays a more premium position and is having a lot of success as well. But I think he needs to be in that final three.
1: Yeah. My final three and uh, I think Kayvon Thibodeau and Kyle Hamilton, if they were healthy all year, would one hundred percent be in this final three. But I, I I just think if you're not playing every game, I don't I don't think you have a rightful you just don't have as much of an argument as guys who did because you have such tight schedules 12 games. You miss one. That's a 12th of the season. It's a 12th of the impact that you can make. So I think. Unbelievable math just happening on the podcast right now. Two of them. It's a sixth. So I can't that's going to be Kyle Hamilton <laughs> and Thibodeau. So at that point, Nicole Dean, Aiden Hutchinson, and then the guy I think I would give it to right now is Ahmad Gardner. I, I think he has been the best and is so impactful to that defense and all they do. And you just watch. How they scheme up that defense? It relies on the fact that no, they they know no one can attack him. He's given up seventy three yards, and they just know that that side the, that he is on is good mm-hmm. in that defense, and everything else works because they know that's not a matchup that offenses can go after, and they haven't. ten catches, seventy three yards all season long is insanity. And playing in man standage. coverage every time. It's not like this yes. is
2: zone where yes. he comes off. Maybe we don't give him a target somewhere. He's playing man coverage on most of his snaps. Yeah, and and he's been as good as as any player defensively like you said in, in the country and he, th- he is the reason why if Cincinnati gets into the playoffs and then has some success in the playoffs big if but if they have success in the playoffs is because like you said he changes what offenses can do against you because they will not throw at
0: him yeah no 100 percent. i'm glad you included him i'm glad you include him as your favorite do you want to go over any of these well, I mean, he's a big here? reason why
1: they you know last year georgia bowl game Oh, he actually didn't even play that game. That's on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's
0: cut let's can we cut, we cut right that? <laughs> that one needs to be cut. Um, do you want to go over any of these other awards? I was going to highlight that. Give Jordan Davis the Outland Award, the Interior Line Award. Well, but then then you, the Tyler Linderbaum slammer. Yeah, Linderbaum. He can win right Remington. Now. It's a center award. Okay, that's fine. This so, committee all speaks together. You don't have to give them all. Jordan Davis, don't give him the Bednarik. Don't give Jared Davis the Bednarik. Still really good player. Give him the Outland Then I keep award.
2: saying the same thing. If, you, then if you're going to give Jordan Davis the Outland, give it to Jalen Carter. Jan
0: Car- Jesus, I can't yeah, Carter. Jalen Carter.
1: Yeah. No. Just don't give him an Award. He's been very good, but he'll go... You know, somewhere in the first round. This is going to get clipped
0: and ripped, and we are going to get buried
1: by dogcountry.org, and we're going to get wrecked. I, mean, I have no... What are Kirby Smart loves
2: BFF. Stop. I don't know what
1: you're talking about. <laughs> you, you just go to our takes on Nicobe Dean. We fucking love N'Kobe Dean. Yeah. If you want, I would have no don't argument Don't give it to Davis, N'Kobe give N'Kobe it
0: to N'Kobe Dean. Give the
1: Heisman to Nicobe Dean. I would not argue too much with that either. But so, Belenikoff, I mean, as it stands right now, Drake London. By the end of the season... That's the problem. It's like he got hurt at just the awkward time where someone is probably going to eclipse him statistically, even though week in, week out, no one was a better wide receiver so far this year. So that one's tough. Uh, but like it stands right now, running back, no question, it's Joke Walker is going to Kenneth Walker. Should it? Ooh, that it perfectly. It's got their, is he his son? Maybe. Uh, makes too much <laughs> yes. sense there. Yeah. John Mackey. It's not. No, I think it's his son. I think it's his <laughs> no, son. It's not. <laughs> The Mackey has to go to Trey McBride right now, as it stands. The guy has over 40% of his team's receiving yards at Colorado State. Those ones, and then the interior line and Remington, should both go to Tyler Lindenbaum. I don't think those ones are a debate. Linebacker DB, again, linebacker, I don't think it's a debate either. We said N'Kobe Dean. I don't think we'd debate that. DB, though, is the one where who should go, go to, because again, Kyle Hamilton, could be up there. McCreary, we think it's going to be Ahmad Gardner. Could I think 100% is Ahmad
2: Gardner. Uh,
1: yeah, I think those ones we all have pretty strong agreement at this point. We're all agreeing Coach of the Year, Steve Sarkeesian, as well, <laughs> I think. I mean, he had that one locked up a few weeks ago. Let's be honest. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I think the Fred Biletnikoff is going to be really interesting because, yes. like you look, that's at, the only one that really it's looks very to much a production right award. When we were in Nashville talking to the guy behind the Fred Bolitnikoff Award, his biggest thing is what what have you done? He hates looking at recruiting, he hates looking at stars, he doesn't want to know what you could be. He wants to know what have you done, and like that. That will put in a Jarrett Stearns from Western Kentucky or Josh Downs from North Carolina or Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama, Calvin Austin, Memphis. Like, it could put in some of these small school guys that aren't at the top of the conversation. But I, I do think that David Bell is obviously in there as well. I'm interested to see who it goes. You know, Traylon Burks, James Williams, they're going to think about some of the bigger school guys. But knowing the guy who's behind that award, I would not be surprised if, like, Calvin Austin wins it. Like, you know, some, some guy that has not yeah. been, maybe been hyped up all season long. I think cool
1: with Tolbert. Tolbert's sick. So. Yeah, Jalen Tolbert, Tolbert is six. has
2: had like 50 catches in the last three weeks or something like that. The he's West, been, is West, West Kentucky Hilltoppers
0: offense. Jalen Tolbert is also a friend of the show, so that actually has a factor. I wanted to get some other questions with Seth before we let you go. Maybe another 20 minutes. You got, you're going to Canada anytime soon? Are you here for a little bit? I'm here, man. All right, 2022 <laughs> here for you. <laughs> <laughs> 2022 quarterback class. We've talked a lot about it on this podcast about. There isn't an obvious guy. There isn't an obvious three guys. And uh, I think Mel Kuyper recently said, you know, anyone you talk to, and Micah said this too, anyone you talk to is going to have a different list. Anyone you talk to is going to have a different one, two, three, four, five. Just how bad is this quarterback class? And who do you feel right now, your list, Who's? what is your unique list of the top one, two, three guys? I've, I've been falling
2: into Malik Willis recently just because if no one else – stands up and says hey i'm a good quarterback then let me take the guy who is who is a good athlete who is yeah. the best athlete of this bunch so i think malik willis i could see myself talking myself into malik willis I'm not, i don't know if i'm there yet however mm-hmm. but yeah there's i got one of the few things i've ever been right about is kenny pickett going into the season because you when you watch his tape. And I keep seeing the same thing. I watch his tape at Pitt, and they've changed their offense a little bit. But you watch his tape, and you're like, okay, well, he's not. I'm not saying he's like super accurate, but he kind of knew where he was going with the football. But you have all these like NFL concepts, shallow cross and routes over the middle, and this stuff, and it's hard. And when you watch, you know, you know, this offseason you watch a lot of Dylan Gabriel who's unfortunately get, got injured, you watch a lot of Matt Corral, you watch a lot of Malik Willis, you watch all these offenses that they don't ask their quarterback to do that, and therefore their production skyrockets because all you're doing is throwing go balls down the sideline. These super spreader offenses, over-split offenses. So when I looked at that I said, if they just change a little bit for Kenny Pickett at Pitt and they have done so, I think you could see an offensive explosion, which you're getting. Also, be, him being in his like 25th year playing, yeah. playing quarterback there, like like a Joe, I don't, you don't want to say this, but like a Joe Burrow explosion in you know as like a 35 year old playing college football. But so, I I think that is something that I always want to look at. And it's something I was going to ask you guys, like how do we suss out the the quarterback himself from these offenses? Sometimes it's, it's It's extremely difficult. Joe Burrow was like the easiest one because they were running all these concepts over the middle, asking him to make tight throws, Mm -hmm, asking him to make tough reads, and he was performing at uh, an elite, elite, elite level. I just don't know. I don't know yeah. how you're supposed to suss out Malik Willis and Corral and I, all these guys.
0: I would argue that is one of the hardest things about you know the quarterback. I mean, look, the, look at Justin Herbert. That was a very difficult. You know, how do you, you know, when you take him out of that offense? How much different does it get when, when he starts throwing the football down the field more and all that stuff? I do think that some of the metrics that we factor in here at PFF that I do think have like high predictive power are. Clean pocket accuracy, downfield accuracy, really focusing in on that accuracy component, in addition to the film slash eye test of throw power and athleticism. That's what you have to that's what you have to project moving forward, especially in today's NFL where the guys who are accurate, have the arm talent, have the mobility, the athleticism, are the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, so
2: this is my new thing about my new take about Oh, yes. For evaluating quarterbacks. This podcast for you is only new
0: takes. I'm excited.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so about, uh, you know, how do we look at quarterbacks and what do we want from a quarterback? I think more importantly, what do we want from a quarterback? Because now you're getting quarterbacks who this isn't 2001, this isn't 1985 anymore, where quarterbacks play right now. And if you're going to play right now, you better have an elite trade that you can fall back on while you figure out what's going on in front of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. Looking at an NFL defense. So you have all these guys who, Josh Allen, Elite trait that he could fall back on while he figured out what the hell was going on in front of him. Justin Herbert, elite trait that he could fall back on. Joe Burrow's accuracy is an elite trait. He could, he did you know he's not been the scrambler that he was in 2019. However, he can fall back on being an elite, um, accurate player. Tua is the example of kind of the opposite. Like mm-hmm. what is the elite trait? It was supposed to be processing, but I don't know if you can bank on that's not a physical trait. Yeah. I don't, so I don't processing know changes
0: the most at the next level, <laughs> right? Yeah.
2: So like that is so that's why I'm like, oh, well maybe just pick Malik Willis and see what happens. See if he'll he'll get blitzed. He he won't see a blitz. He'll get he'll get you know trapped because the corner did something that he didn't think was going to happen. He holds on to the football, but then he still runs for twenty yards. And it's like that's probably what you need going forward.
1: I, I think about in this quarterback class, I would love to draft a quarterback. I would not love to draft one in the top ten. I I, I think. There are four guys, and there's not four guys every year. Like there are four guys that have legitimate high-end physical tools, maybe even five, that for the quarterback position. The, like if you're the guys who are, we're talking about this kind of mid-tier of like, are they first rounders? Are they not? They're not. They don't look like Will Greer. they not. They don't look like Mason Rudolph. These guys have legit arm strength. Whether it's Sam Howell, Carson Strong, Malik Willis, all those guys have cannons. Matt Corral, even like those guys can sling it. They are athletes. I think it's Howell, Corral, and Willis are one, two, three in the country in terms of rushing yards, the quarterback position right now. like the, the, There are guys that have the entire package that's kind of winning at the NFL right now. It just hasn't been consistent and hasn't been. And the offenses they're in are so collegey mm-hmm. that it's like, I don't want to pass up on Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't want to pass up on Derek Stingley for these guys right now when you know they're going to be a level of play at the NFL level that is impactful, whereas those guys might take two or three years for them to even hit the ground as average.
0: I only had one other college football question actually on my list, and it was actually LSU, who this next coach should be. We've had some conversation about Mel Tucker, Luke Fickle. Where's your head at in terms of who should be? uh, For those who don't know, Seth, big LSU guy. Who should be the next coach?
2: So, I don't think it's going to be, but I would love Dave Aranda to come back and bring in. It's funny because now he's his offensive coordinator at Baylor is Jeff Grimes, who was the offensive coordinator at LSU. I think want to say like 2014, 2015, something like that. Bring him back because what he's what Jeff Grimes has done at BYU, putting them on the map two years ago with Zach Wilson and that offensive line. And then this year with Baylor, they've transformed the team. So I I would love to see him and Aranda come to LSU. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to splurge on maybe it's a Jimbo, which I don't know. I I like Mike Alco, the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. I'm not sure if I would love to watch Jimbo's offense week in and week out. I'm not sure I'm ready for that in my <laughs> life. But I, but I, but I, but he's done a good job at Texas A&M. They've rebuilt, kind of quote unquote, rebuilt the program or, or taken it to the next level that than what Kevin Sumlin has. I would love a Luke Fickle defensive minded coach. There's a lot of guys that I would really like. I would I would kind of maybe even take a James Franklin. I, I loved what he did at Vanderbilt, and I think we don't give him enough praise for kind of rebuilding Penn State a bit. I mean Bill O'Brien kind of started that a bit, but. But James Franklin has done a great job at, at Penn State. So, you know, Aranda, to me, is number one. And then there's probably some other offensive coordinators that I can't think of. I mean, Lane. Lane would be great, honestly. No,
0: no mention there. So when we were at LSU, we talked about this a lot because everyone there hates um, Orgeron. I mean, they, no one wanted him there happening. at all. When we were at the LSU-Florida game where after that game it was announced they would no longer be moving forward with him, Mel Tucker was you didn't bring him up, and then Billy Napier yeah. of ULL. They were there were some conversations around Napier too.
2: I, I like Napier. It Comes from the Saban tree, so you loved that idea of an or, or from an organizational perspective. I think, and it, clearly he can coach defense, and clearly he's done a great job at at as a raising Cajun head coach. And then Mel Tucker, I mean. This is a Michigan State program that was good a couple of years ago, and you saw it last year in his first year. Like it was tough, and he's already turned that around. And like I don't, th- I don't think they're going to go and beat Ohio State, but uh, undefeated right now, ranked top five in the country. So.
0: I will say this: of all the coaches I've talked to on this podcast, and I think it's thirty now, Mel Tucker leveraged and talked about the transfer portal in the best way, in my opinion. He actually views the transfer portal. As an obvious way to improve your football team. Well, there's a lot of others. I think I was talking to Mac Brown. Mac Brown at UNC was saying, we want to grow in talent. We want to recruit and all that stuff. And I think there are some coaches that are stuck in that way a little bit. And like, we want, like, kind of in the NFL, like, we want to draft our talent stuff. Mm -hmm. Mel Tucker, I thought, was the most impressive by any way. And like, we got holes. We're going to get it in the transfer portal. He had like six defensive backs. He had a ton of receivers, running backs, all that stuff. I mean, he had what, Kendall Walker. <laughs> LSU might need that. And, this, and like, I think LSU doesn't do, have any talent right now. Did, well, when I When this big full big transfer thing. portal stuff started, I said the teams that this helps the most are the teams that – are in this tier two or tier three in big conferences. Like LSU is not Alabama. It's not Georgia. And then you have, um, you know, in the Big Ten, it's, if you're not Ohio State or Michigan, you're going to need some help. And Michigan State did that, adding Kenneth Walker and others too. So I, I, I want a coach that's thinking like that, especially if you're bringing him to LSU where they need to. Get creative on how they beat Alabama, or not necessarily out recruit Alabama, but add comparable talent to the juggernaut that is. All right, NFL questions here. I had another one. Who is your front runner for twenty twenty one NFL season league MVP? Oh, Matt Stafford, not even close. Yeah, uh, Matt Stafford or Demario saying, oh, yeah. Davis? That's the Demario. De <laughs> Let's get so I said Matt Stafford on I think the Monday episode. You're leaning Kyler Murray or Kyler yeah. yeah, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm
2: curious Kyler Murray going forward. It's been too interesting i don't gonna say bad games, but it's been two interesting games. Mm-hmm. They probably should have beat the Packers
1: on the last play of the game. Yeah, though obviously, yeah. I mean, no, AJ Green turns around and catches that. We're thinking we're not even only. like, yeah. No one really argues with that statement too much, so. right? I,
2: I'm, I'm, my thing with Kyler Murray and that, that whole Cardinals offense is like it goes as he goes. So there's not going to be any. There's not a lot of like quote unquote schemed up production there mm-hmm. in that offense. So if he's not having a good game, it's mm-hmm. really bad. So, like, you know, in a Stafford situation where Stafford can have an okay game and still go for 300. And three touchdowns yeah. and no interceptions because he's got McVay, you know, holding him up at certain times. It's not, it's not McVay holding Goff up for the whole game, mm-hmm. but is there certain a- aspects where McVeigh can say, Hey, hold on. I remember in the Seahawks game, it was going okay early in the game. They said, okay, let's go under center. Let's run the football. Let's play action. Like we don't have to be this new Rams offense, but when they are the new Rams offense, spread them out, let Stafford cook. I don't know if there's a better
0: player in the league right now. I think that's what's interesting about that conversation is that no one brought up Josh Allen, who right now is the betting favorite, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, at plus 250 to win the MVP. Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford tied at second at plus 600. What's been your opinion of Josh Allen this year?
2: Well, I think this is interesting because it it ties into what I'm saying about Kyler Murray, where Josh Allen has, has not been perfect this year. You know, we saw in the Steelers game it was okay. We've seen, you know, they scored like thirty-five points against Miami week two, and it was okay. We saw it last week against Miami at home now, and it was okay. Even though they get the W, and I think what what's changed is now Brian Dable can can prop him up when he needs to. Josh Allen is a generational type of player, I think. However, you can't, as we're seeing with Mahomes as well. It's like you, sometimes you need that offensive scheme to help you out a little bit when you're used to being this super spread 10 personnel 11 personnel a team where you're relying on the quarterback to to be everything for you just as Mahomes has been for the Chiefs you're seeing that with Buffalo it worked unbelievably well in 2020 now they've taken a step back and said okay look we're going to run you a little bit more when we have to. Uh, you saw it in the Chiefs game this year. You saw it in the Miami game just last week. So I think there's some things you can do now, and I, that. And honestly, like I, everyone was saying, oh, Dable, 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 he's got to be a head coach. What he's doing this year has even pushed it even further because there's. He's allowing Josh Allen to, and I said it's important, not have to be Superman on every play. Not have to, oh, throw this unbelievable route where he's thr- rolling to his, you know, left, rolling to his right, and he's got to throw across his body and makes all these plays like Mahomes. He's saying, hey, we can run the football more. It's going to be interesting. You no know, Dawson Knox going forward. That's going to change. They're going to have to be, they're, they've, Against Miami, they went back to being a spread team. Tommy Sweeney was in the game, but really it's, they were a spread team. So I'm interested to see with that. But I think Dable's done a great job, and it's allowing Josh Allen to not have to be Superman on every single play.
0: We've got a hard out at 2.30, and I had a couple more questions for you if we could get through these quickly. We were talking a little bit last night. We went to Eric Eager's house, watched the Chiefs game, and there's a lot of conversation about like what the hell is going on with the Chiefs offense. What is going on? Why is it not looking like what we've seen in the past? Is it you know some people talk about turnover worthy play regression? Then you look at just the explosive play rate this year compared to previous years. What is going on? What's what what, what do you think the biggest issue is?
2: So they, they can't run the ball to get teams out of these two high shells that we've been talking about ad nauseum for the past few weeks. So that's the first thing. Yeah, hey, look, if they're running the ball for seven yards a pop. Different story. Or at least five yards a pop, a very different story. The teams are going to say, oh, maybe we should spin to one high. Maybe we should get a second safety in the box and, and, and live in that world. And then and then he kills you over the top. Yeah. They're not doing that because the offensive line has not just not been very good, especially the tackles have just not been very good. So I think that's the issue. And then I think Mahomes is living in a world where he feels like he can still big game hunt even though these these post routes these over routes that were that we remember from Tyreek Hill are, are not there this year with the 2 high shell with the 2 high shell he's not getting one on one on the backside with Travis Kelsey because they're they can they can in in an essence double team him playing cover 4 or cover 2 so and but he's still not you want to see him I think you just want to see him be a little more Eric was talking about this yesterday. One, two, three, balls out. One, two, three, balls out. Let's get them out of what they want to do. But it's Mahomes. Like, it's Mahomes. He's going to he's gonna scramble around. He's going to, you know, wait on some throws. And, and they're not there this year because I think the shells they're getting and they're not able to get teams out of those shells. Last one for you. Zach Taylor ruining Joe Burrow. <laughs> is he? I, I don't love the offense there. And I think so much of it is just. It's like they have changed a bit. They're going under center a lot more, running that outside zone scheme that that we thought he was going to bring with him from being, you know, in the same urinal one time with with um, Sean McVay. I
0: hate that joke. Can I say this? I hate those jokes. Those jokes were funny three that's years it, yeah. ago. <laughs> those jokes were funny three years ago. Oh, he had a cup of coffee with McVay. He's going to be a head coach. Yeah, but no yeah, one that's... has said. No one has said he's peed in the same the urinal. The urinal. <laughs> is the only adaptation I liked of it. I think I, I don't want to hear them again though. Oh, probably had a cup of coffee, me. Guy, die. I'm done. Oh I'm done. God. Go oh ahead. Go continue, though. All right. That's
2: all we have for you guys today. <laughs> uh, no, so I think I think they've done a little bit differently going into center, outside zone. But at the end of the day, what is this offense other than Joe Burrow throwing slants or go routes to Jamar Chase? So nothing's really changed in what they've kind of done from last year where they weren't very good. They've been better the last few weeks. Obviously, they probably shouldn't have lost the Jets. Even though they scored a bunch of points, they've been a little better on offense. I'm I'm concerned. I'm concerned. That's that's really where it is. I'm concerned.
0: Seth, always a pleasure getting you on the show. It's always a pleasure when we get you here in Cincinnati, man. Make sure you follow Seth on Twitter, pff underscore Seth, and then also the Two High podcast with Deontay Lee here at PFF is absolutely phenomenal. Mina Kimes calls out a bunch of people, a bunch of like legit. Football people listen to it, and if you don't, you're not a legit football person. I'll call you out right now. Yeah. I will call you out right now. You're not a legit football person unless you're listening to Too High. Do you have a better sales pitch than that? No,
2: I don't. And I, <laughs> I, that, that's it, though. I'm gonna go. That tell I, more Rams. I'm, I've, I've tell ascended.
0: More Sean McVay Rams coaching. I'm just, jokes. but
2: I'm just trying to find like all the good ones. Like I could do the urinal one. Maybe he was in like a like a phone Uber vestibule shared with him, Uber shared an Uber with him. Yeah, I think that that's, I like that. Shout out Uber, proud when sponsor I get to, of the tailgate pod. Yeah, when I start doing stand up again, I think that those are going to be my.
0: again
1: (laughs) I need the clips we're not talking about it (laughs) Mike in all seriousness though if you enjoy talk about schematics anything X's and O's about how the game of football is actually being played and coaching decisions that sort of thing that is the best podcast for that on the market like no other there, there aren't Truly, many others that even delve into that, mm-hmm. but they are by far the best.
0: And in the podcast space and football podcasts, where it's so saturated with a lot of the same content, and even sometimes guilty of that. On this podcast, talking about mock drafts and things like that, it is such a breath of fresh air and very good air at that air that Sean McVay has once shared. But this was a fantastic mm-hmm. interview as well. We're going to go ahead and jump now to interviews with Louisiana offensive tackle Max Mitchell. Then we also had UConn defensive tackle Travis Jones. Let's get to those. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Louisiana offensive tackle, Max Mitchell. Not just Louisiana. Highest-graded offensive tackle in the FBS, according to PFF. You are one of the better stories in college football right now. It's great to have you on the show.
3: Yes, sir. Appreciate you having me.
0: We We were talking a little bit out there. You're from Monroe, Louisiana. Developed at Neville High School. Only had a handful of offers coming out. Some D2 offers. Some of these schools listed, man. Millsaps College. Wachita Baptist University, and then, kind of out of the blue, Louisiana comes in to recruit you. You take that offer. Walk me through a little bit of that, how that recruiting process went, and how much, obviously, you know, Louisiana, how, how, you know, why you ultimately picked Louisiana and went down that road.
3: Yeah, uh, kind of like you said, there, there weren't many uh, significant offers out of high school that I, I, was, I was really considering. Um, but, you know, Coach Napier and Coach Sale at the time uh, gave, me a shot, gave me a shot and come down here. And uh, um, definitely took it. I mean, the facilities were great. Everything looked great. Um, liked the connection with the coaches I was getting. So uh, it, it was an easy It was an easy choice for me to get down here. <laughs> but enjoyed it a ton so far.
0: And in high school, did you play offensive line and defensive line? Did you play both sides of the ball? Or what positions all did you play?
3: Um, started out high school playing, like, guard and center. And uh, ended up just move, making a move to tackle. And, and played both tackles. Uh you know, sparingly throughout a couple of years, I was, I was there, but, but ended up at right tackle. So that was, that was mainly my position.
0: And when you got to Louisiana, you know, where, where were you weighing in at six foot six, 270 is kind of what I see listed. And now where are you up to? What weight are you up to now?
3: Yeah. So I got there. Um, I was like in the low eighties, mid eighties, maybe two eighties.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and, and just through, you know, nutrition and, and, and exercise uh, workouts and stuff like that, gotten up to like 300 and hovering right around that under that. And, uh, and been pretty consistent around that. Gotcha. That's awesome, man.
0: And I think, um, so you had an opportunity to play so early at Louisiana, rotated in in all 14 games as a true freshman, and then from there started to really, you know, you started in as a sophomore, now junior, and then into your senior year. Speak to just how much you've developed over the course of that playing time, just getting that opportunity to play at Louisiana all the way since your freshman season.
3: Yeah. Um, experience has been huge. Um, I, I really appreciate being able to rotate, you know, in and, and all games, freshman year, even though I, I didn't have a really a clue what I was doing, really most of the time. But we had a, such an experienced line at the time that it was it was really easy for me to rotate in and, and get calls and then communicate easy with with you know whoever was in. So, um, you know, making the start sophomore year was was really easy because I'd had that whole year of of snaps under my belt. So um, they just kind of eased into being a starter, really, and and mm-hmm. the rest is you know, easy because you're just going through off season program and you're developing you know maturity and stuff like that. So um having that experience is awesome.
0: How much has, you know, Billy Napier played a role in your development? We had an opportunity to talk to him on this podcast before the season, and I came away super compelled with the culture he's trying to bring to Louisiana, that winning culture, that toughness. And I think the offensive line specifically has that, you know, it it comes with this now, this toughness pedigree. A lot of people respect what you guys are doing in the trenches, I, I guess with napier how much has he had an impact on you and what you can you offer some detail on what you feel like he's building there at louisiana
3: yeah he's been uh a, a key role in in developing i think everybody here um i mean it just has a he has a he's such a culture builder i mean he he's just uh he's solid i mean he just represents you know kind of everything what we want to do you know he he uh he keeps everything in line i mean he's uh he, he makes me remember kind of like my high school program. It was kind of built on discipline, ethic, you know, work ethic and stuff like that. And I, I feel like I just fit right in. I mean, just going from one program to the next. But he uh, he, he just sets a good standard for us. I mean, he just he uh, he's just a great example for us to follow, really
0: yeah i mean I, I I could feel that even in the twenty minutes I had with him, man I think he definitely has that compelling nature around him now, going into this season, you are like I said the top here, the highest graded outfit to tackle in the country you've improved your p f f grade every year of your career in the four years you've been at Louisiana but something that has stood out for me, and again, it speaks to this toughness that comes with the raging Cajuns is your ninety four point one run blocking grade. You have been an absolute road grader in that department. How much do you feel like you've improved in that area? And what have been some of the bigger areas where you've improved that you feel like have gotten to you that gotten you to this point?
3: Yeah, um, definitely just understanding uh, how, how the game is played um, just in a football sense. I mean, I, I kind of understand the, the uh, concepts we're running a little bit more year by year. You know, you kind of understand what you where you need to bring your body or get your body, how you where you need to move, you know, just just kind of the, the angles and the, and the technicality of everything. And obviously year by year doing the off-season program get a little bit stronger every year um, and, and being able to do what I want to do you know a little a little easier I guess year by year um, but I just feel like there's there's so much more room for me to improve there I I I, uh, I know you said it was like a 90 something grade but me personally I don't think I have a 90 something grade I feel like I can <laughs> do way better than, than what I'm doing now you know just just through uh, just little tweaks here and there and, and, and further development but um, definitely the experience has helped with that as well.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the best, the best in the country I always say that, man, I think that's a, that's a good, that's a good mentality to have. So for, for those tweaks that you want to make, how much of an emphasis is you know film or and then how much of an emphasis is weight room? Cause I feel like those two components are obviously super important. Then there's footwork technique and these things, but where does film, you know, show up for you? How much do you prioritize that? And I guess speak to some of the, you know, the, the techniques or, you know, the amount of prioritization, the amount of hours you're putting in.
3: Yeah, no. So um, what we've done this year is we'll break down or we'll, we'll take uh, a D lineman from the team we're playing and we'll have him for our player matchup. So we'll make a whole cut up on this guy and break it down for the offensive line on Friday night, you know, before when we're in the hotel or something. And so I think that's, I mean, I've matured enough to where I can do my own film study now. Um, you know, as a you know freshman year, I, I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing, but I've, uh, you know, being able to watch one guy and analyze what he's doing and stuff like that. Um, it's helped a ton. But but what's really important for me is getting in the weight room and, and gaining a little bit of weight. I think that'll help me tremendously because I understand kind of what needs to be done now. I just need to be able to do it better, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, th- th- those aspects are definitely still uh,
0: need improvement, I guess. And are you still looking to add weight or are you kind of trying to maintain at 300 or are you hoping to add more and get into the 310, 315
3: range? Yeah, so during the season, um, I usually maintain pretty well, uh, you know, at 300, right under 300. Um, I feel like it's an okay playing weight for now, but definitely during the offseason this year, um, definitely want to tack on, you know, another 15 pounds and, mm-hmm. uh, and still be able to move like how I want to be able to move, so. Gotcha. Yeah, I think
0: uh, uh, on these you know conversations with players, guys that are trying to add weight. So I've had some wild conversations on how these guys do it. Some people waking up at three eight, you know, I waking up at three a.m. eating a full meal like chicken rice and vegetables, going back to sleep, then waking up at eight a.m. and eating breakfast. It's like, oh my gosh, what do you have to do to add that weight it can sometimes oh, yeah. be crazy. The shakes and stuff like that is is a wild time. Um, for pass protection, you also have been outstanding in pass protection. I think that's where film shows up a ton, too. I remember talking to Jonah Williams for Alabama, first round and now pushing the Cincinnati Bengals. He said he charted every single rush. Did they win outside? Did they win inside? Did they win bull rush? What, how much does that play a factor in you're, when you're watching a guy seeing the type of moves list he might have?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's big. It kind of goes back to that matchup I was talking about. Um, we'll we'll uh, comb through all those games they've played. Um, just kind of see what he likes, obviously, what kind of rush, what he likes to do with his hands, um, just just basically where? what are his tendencies, you know, kind of what, what you told about Jonah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just looking how he moves, you know, and, and how that stacks up to my game or what do I need to tweak this week for, for this guy, you know. That's just – that's basically it.
0: Yeah. Looking ahead to you know closing out the season, Louisiana obviously having a phenomenal start to the year, seven and one on the year. What are some of your personal goals, and then we'll speak to team goals to close out the interview? What are some of your personal goals? What's high on your list to accomplish as you close out this season for Louisiana?
3: Obviously, keep my grade up. Um, I'd like to. I'd like to. I'd like to uh, maintain that pretty well, um, but. I just want to – I want to play a game where I can feel that I've played a complete game myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think I've done that yet. There's always a – you know, no game is going to be perfect, obviously, but I want to be able to have a game where um, I can look back and be like, well, I did everything that I wanted to do, and there's nothing that makes me look back and kind of, you know, make make me kind of ick about a couple – a drive or, you know, a couple plays here and there. I, I just want one of those, but I don't know if they'll be able to get that. You know, nobody's perfect, but that's what I'm going for.
0: Gotcha. Love that, man. I think that that's awesome. And so for, for the team, what's everyone got on their board? And what is Napier? What is the team looking to accomplish as they close out these last four games here?
3: Yeah, we want to um obviously run the table. We uh we want to close out and try to keep this uh, you know, there's an East Division opponent we're playing this uh Thursday, Georgia State. Mm-hmm. But um we want to hold home field advantage for our championship game. Um we want to finish in the top twenty-five. Um and we want to win this championship finally. You know, it's been uh, four years since I've, I've gotten – or three and a half years since I've gotten in here, and we've played for the championship every year and come up short, except for last year, which was uh, canceled because of COVID. But um, that is – that's probably our biggest uh, goal that we need to check off is trying to get this championship.
0: Well, I'll be rooting for you the entire way, man. This has been a fantastic interview, and I really wish you the best of luck the rest of this year and into the offseason.
3: Thank you so much. I do it.
0: Now doing the tailgate podcast is current UConn defensive tackle, Travis Jones. Travis, we've been meaning to get you on this show for a while now. You have been one of the favorites here at PFF, a guy that we've followed for a handful of years now. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Where I'd like to start is honestly going back and looking a little bit about your you know, um, your history and getting to UConn. You are a well-decorated UConn high school football player. I think you played both sides of the ball, offensive and defensive line. What was that like? Do you miss playing offense? I know you were a guard. I think in high school, do you miss playing offense? Yeah. I think you were recruited a little bit by some to be an offensive lineman. Talk more about your high school career there in UConn or in Connecticut. Sorry.
4: Oh yeah, in high school, I did play both sides of the ball. And all, all the offers I had was was to play O line actually. Oh wow! And when I came up to UConn, they switched me over to the defense.
0: Gotcha. And so you were originally committed to Rutgers, correct? And then yep. decommitted to go to UConn. Uh, what, what what all went into that decision?
4: Uh, yeah, I went up there for an unofficial visit. Me and my, and I committed on the spot up there. And on the drive back, me and my mom said son, son didn't feel right. So the next day we decommitted and weighed out our options. And that's when I picked uh, UConn.
0: Gotcha. And are you was a big part of UConn being staying in state. Are you? You're big with your. You're really close to your family. I guess we yeah. all went into like wanting to be at UConn, staying in state.
4: Yeah that that was a that was the main part why I stayed at UConn. So my mom, grandparents, and sisters, sisters could come up to the home games things like that
0: and so you know you're recruited to play offensive line you get flipped to defense did you want to play offensive line or was there some part of you that always wanted to get on the defensive side of the ball
4: for me it really didn't matter for me I, I would have played both sides whatever they wanted me to do I would have did it so
0: gotcha very cool well um this season has been spectacular you read some of the articles that are coming out um where they talk about you as a All star bowl candidate, whether it's the East West Shrine Bowl, Hula Senior Bowl. Have you had any early conversations there? Is that a goal of yours, a personal goal of yours? Where is that on your radar?
4: Um, Right now, I've been invited to the East West Bowl. And right now, I'm just trying, um, we just right now just getting ready for Clemson. And I'll worry about that stuff when I get there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that's that's very yeah. way too far ahead. Let's focus more on this season. You've been phenomenal, have graded really well for UConn and really in my opinion have improved every single year there. Speak to the development that you've had and maybe what has been the biggest, you know, growth point or biggest improvement in your game from last year to this year.
4: Personally, for me, I say I understand the game better schemes and what teams are trying to do to me to defeat me and how to beat them. Mm-hmm. You know, something I think I got better at was uh, my pass rush. That's something like, I really needed to work on, and I think I got a little better at that this year. Still need improvement, though.
0: What, what specifically do you think helped you improve that pass rush? Was it more film study? Were you able to maybe you know, work more pass rush moves into your arsenal? Where exactly do you think you improved?
4: i say picking up, pick, picking up tendencies from, by watching film
0: mm-hmm. day in and
4: day out, seeing what the old, old linemen like to do, things like that.
0: So when you do turn on the film, you're looking at tendencies and those things. What are some of the first things you look for on film when you're going against you know, an, another offensive line?
4: First thing I look for, uh, stance first off, off the off the jump. Look at the stance, uh, hand placement, things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and how about your approach in the in the weight room? Has that been? What have your goals been there? Have it been you know important for you to add weight? Have you been trying to drop weight? What have been like your current weight and and weight room goals?
4: Oh, my current weight right now I'm three thirty three. We weighed in yesterday, I believe. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And yeah. every time I go in the weight room, it's going in, and put in work. I try. For my cars, I try to do 10 10 to 20 pounds extra just to push myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That's awesome, man. And so uh, we can close out here. I only had a couple more questions for you. What are some of your personal goals to close out this season? And then we can focus on team goals as well. But what are you hoping to personally accomplish as you close out the year?
4: Some of my personal goals right now is to go out there and have fun with my guys and and try to dominate every snap, really. That's what I could do, control the things I could control,
0: Absolutely. That's awesome. And having fun is is sometimes a forgotten part in football, man, especially with yeah, know. You know, potentially being your last there at UConn. I think getting getting as much fun as you can. I think is super important. Last one for you. What are a you know, what are team goals that you have? What are you you know, what are you and the guys there at UConn hoping to accomplish to, to finish the year?
4: Yeah, we've been um, talking about this for, for the our last three games. We just want to go out there and compete. Don't look at the score, but just go to compete, have fun with each
0: other. Yeah, I think that's it. Fun is the name of the game. Travis, this was phenomenal. I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast and wishing the Thanks best sir. of luck moving forward.
4: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: Man, jam-packed show today, Mike. That was phenomenal. Big shout-out to Seth, Max Mitchell, Travis Jones. Going to be a packed show. And then tomorrow, I got UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer. Mm. He kind of changed my life in that
1: interview. He's a multimillionaire now. Twenty was... million million, 10-year deal. They were really... Are trying to get that buyout, hoping when he, or whenever he does move to another school.
0: Dude, he is sick, man. He that interview blew me away a little bit. He's a really, really cool guy. Definitely listen to that one on Thursday. But we will see you next time. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producers David Sofaro Stone Rochelle, Mike Quinn, and Max Chadwick. Tailgate.